You're listening to the Bible Roots Podcast with Pastor Randy Frazee. If you're a church leader looking for creative ideas to help your church engage more deeply with the Bible, this podcast is for you. And now, for today's episode. Well, welcome everybody to episode eight of the Bible Roots Podcast. I am Randy Frazee, and I'm the host of this wonderful new show. Uh, This is a podcast devoted to the topic of Bible engagement. Why? Because Bible engagement is the number one catalyst for spiritual growth with no close second. I encourage you to check out episode one where we lay out this discovery. And I want to encourage you, if you are a pastor responsible for leading people uh, spiritually or a small group leader, or you're just a mom or a dad leading your kids in discipleship or one-on-one coaching, uh, this podcast is for you. Now today, my guest, I'm so excited, is Matt Markins, and we're going to dive into the topic of engaging children in the Bible. And I think you'll agree with me, this may be the most important conversation of all, particularly in light of what's going on in our culture. Man, way different from when I was a pastor in the younger years, of the challenge that um, parents have, the challenge that pastors have, and small group leaders in, uh, in, in really winning our children over for Jesus. So Matt is uniquely qualified to speak to this important topic and let me tell you why because matt is the president and ceo of awana now if you have been around ministry for any length of time you probably know what awana is mostly all about i certainly do in my experience and i'll tell that a little bit later but if you're newer to the scene you may not and mark is going to tell you that matt is going to tell you that story and it is totally legit and they have had massive impact all over the world mark is married to katie they have two sons warren and hudson and they reside in nashville tennessee matt says he enjoys family time traveling carpentry yard work biking and the nfl got that right from the website (laughs) matt so i hope that's still true so matt welcome to the podcast it's so good to be with you yeah, hey, let's start off with uh, kind of completely off topic to engaging children in the Bible to some of the things you're into. First of all, if you're into the NFL, then uh, you have a team. So I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to take a big guess on what your team who your team is. But let, let me just let you reveal it to everybody. Well, I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, by the way. They were the winners of the uh, AFC South this past year. Yeah, and I think I think it's going to be another great year. So, yeah, we we uh, started following the Titans right when they moved to Nashville. And of course, they went to the Super Bowl that first year they were in Nashville. And that, that's all it took. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Well, I grew up a uh, Cowboys fan, even though I grew yeah. up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, uh, but I spent 32 years of my life in Texas. But it has been very easy to shift to the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> oh, I bet it has. Yeah, I bet it has. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, let's talk about carpentry. Okay. Yeah. So what's that all about? Well, I grew up in the cornfields of Indiana. And the culture in Indiana is is sports driven. It's sports driven. It's a little more of a bland, plain culture. Certainly not what I would call an artistic culture. So I didn't discover, and I played sports as a child and as a student, but I didn't discover that I was an artist until I was in my 30s. And one of the ways that I apply that is through carpentry. So I married into a building family. My my wife's uh, grandfather was in construction, her father is a, was a contractor and a builder, and he taught me how to build and do carpentry. And so when we were in our upper 20s, we did something crazy, and we actually general contracted the building of our own home here in Nashville, back when you could do those sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> and I just fell in love with building, and it's such a way to express what you see and your vision inside of you. And, you know, we went to, we went to college in, in a beautiful neighborhood with lots of beautiful architecture, and so as a as a builder, you get to express, you know, maybe what you've seen or what you uh, would like to would like to see. So it's a lot of fun. That is fascinating. I mean, I, I bring it out because I, I can't make two 45 degree angles come together. And uh, I watch HGTV with uh, Ben uh, from mm-hmm. uh, hometown, and I'm yep. just absolutely amazed at the level yep. of carpentry. So that is awesome, man. And it's, you know, you're even more like Jesus than me because, you know, you took up his occupation. Well, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, according to the scriptures. And in carpentry, sandpaper and caulk can cover a multitude of sins. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you you've used that analogy occasionally. Oh, quite a few times. Time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, let's, let's shift to your personal faith journey, kind of your faith mm-hmm. journey. And then you can kind of go, go ahead and mm-hmm. tell us how it led you to where you're at today. Yeah. 
Well, one of the most uh, powerful days of my life was the day that my dad walked out of the house. Oh, so I would have been probably three or four, my brother, five years older than me. And so for whatever reason, my parents left the, the door open uh, it, while they're having an argument and they're walking, my dad's marching back and forth out of the hall from the master bedroom, carrying out boxes and clothes draped over his arms. And while, while there's all the disruption of this day happening, my brother sticks I don't know if you remember the Disney golden books that have the golden spine. Yeah. He put one of those in front of my face and he's trying to distract me from what's happening just outside the room. And so um. that's really the big, kind of the beginning of my story. And so not long after that, as you can imagine, my mom finds her way to the local church. Mm. Her heart, her heart was really open and ready for something better. Mm. And so I was introduced to Jesus at a very young age. I still remember the moment I heard the gospel for the first time. There were only two children in the room and two adults. So if you've ever volunteered in children's ministry and only a couple of kids show up, you know, don't don't look down on that. You never know what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so I grew up going to church back in the 80s when flannel graph was how kids learned the Bible and then went to youth group in the 90s. And I, the church discipled me. There was a pastor and the pastor's wife and, and a deacon. And wh where I thought my name was divorce, child support, and custody, the local church taught me my name was mercy, encouragement, and leadership. And the church mentored me and discipled me. So by the time I was a student graduating high school, my eyes were looking kind of down the field. And I was asking God, what these people did for me, how can I do for other kids? Mm. And that's really how God kind of launched me out from this early trauma into discipleship and out, out into the world. Man, I have to, you know, that is a fascinating story. I, did, I didn't fully know your story, Matt. And, and just now knowing what you're, how God's using you, that, you know, real encouragement to that, you know, that uh, Sunday morning volunteer, like you said, who has like one kid and you never know, yeah. Matt Markins yeah. might be, might be yeah. in your class, yeah. who's yeah. going to lead a global organization discipling kids and families, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So how did you get from, from that space uh, to Awana? Well, I, so I went to a small Bible college in Nashville and after, after school, really, my wife and I were really trying to discover what God had for us and uh, ultimately, I found myself in the publishing space. You know, Randy, that Nashville is a publishing town. Yeah. Lots, lots of Christian publishers here. So I found myself into that creative uh, space, but specifically within the children's ministry lane huh. and uh, helping churches get curriculum and training to, to do children's ministry. So early on, my wife and I, as volunteers and professionally doing this, uh, we were asking the question, well, what exactly is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith in children? And that really, that one question has been our life pursuit. You know, what really? is it the church does that leads to lasting faith in kids? And in that journey, journey ultimately, we discovered Awana. Our local church brought Awana in. And, and somewhere along that journey, you, 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 know, you can't be involved in this space professionally without running into the organization Awana. So we had both this personal experience with Awana, and we were partnering with the organization through other events and trainings and stuff we were doing in conferences. And so ultimately that led us to a place of, huh, you know, maybe, maybe God's leading us to this ministry to be a part of what he's doing around the world with kids. Wow. That is, that is amazing. Why don't we um, shift gears, well, not shift gears, but let's talk about what Awana is. I'm going to read it off of the website you know okay. what you know what it says it is and then you can kind of like uh, uh add some stuff to it um because it's just so fascinating awana is a worldwide nonprofit ministry focused on providing bible-based evangelism and discipleship solution for ages 2 to 18 as a global leader in child and youth discipleship awana gives children the opportunity to know love and serve jesus no matter their background so uh, that's that's right off your website. So is that accurate? And uh, yeah. what, and and what would you add to what Awana is to you? In the most in the most simplistic form, Awana is about child discipleship, and we do that through two primary ways: we equip leaders and we resource churches and parents. Mm. And so, if there's a church or a parent any around anywhere around the world, no matter the culture. So if it's if you are in like let's say the Middle East, an area that's known for more Islam, or if you're in the West and you're in this post-Christian environment, no matter where you are around the world, if you lift up your eyes and you say, boy, I really want to reach kids with the gospel and I want to disciple them, who can help me? That's where Awana comes into the picture. So we disciple children with the local church and parents 
And we do that through resourcing and through equipping. Wow, that is phenomenal. What what is the name Awana? What does it actually mean? Well, back in the day, it it it, it was founded as an acronym. We no longer use that acronym because it's it's a it's a good story, but it's not necessarily the most succinct story. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Of course, that's coming right from the scriptures. Yeah. And so that that obviously in, in the culture at that that part of nineteen fifties history, that was super important to frame the organization that way. We certainly still believe in that. We stand on that, but leading with the message of child discipleship is a little more clear. Uh, and distinct, especially in this day and age. Yeah. 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 I, I became a believer in 1974 and the church was using the King James, you know? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I, I re- memorized the scripture and approved workmen, mm-hmm. you know, approved workmen. That, yeah. So that makes, yeah. that, that makes complete sense. Let's talk about the impact of Awana since 1950. I, I'm, I was born in 61. I'm assuming you weren't alive in 1950. <laughs> and so, uh, so you've got to be kind of come in the stream of this thing. Um, I, you know, let's talk about this, and, and don't don't be afraid to like just share some of the most amazing things you know uh, that God has done uh, through Awana over the years. Sure. Well, uh, up through uh, 2007, uh, by the time you hit 2007, Awana was reaching about 1.5 million children in somewhere south of 100 countries, I believe, at that point in time. Mostly, our growth from our our beginnings of the 1950s. Through, the, through that point, the early 2000s, we were mostly exporting our Western U.S. model of do, and methodologies of doing ministry. And that was built on products and resources and curriculum and T-shirts. As you, as you can imagine, that only scales so far in so many countries around the world because of the economics. So, but in 2007, our organization was asking, boy, how could we reach kids differently who don't in, in environments that don't have the resources that we have? So that's when we shifted our, our international model to what's called LBS or leader-based strategy, where we lead with the vision of 414, the vision that most people come to Christ between the ages of four and 14. And then we follow that up with a training cycle where we train a church on how to do large group engagement, small group discipleship, and interactive uh, ways to engage children. So we started that model in 2007, and it's just uh, grown exponentially. Matter of fact, in about two months, we will pass the 5 million child mark, meaning when we say 5 million children, we don't mean a literature distribution engagement. We mean someone who's a, a child who's a member of an active ministry where they have loving, caring adults investing in them. So yeah, it's been pretty phenomenal to see it grow from where it was to 5 million children. Now 66,000 churches, 133 countries around the world. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is just spellbounding. Uh, And what a great, you know, what a great pivot. You know, we've always, we're going to talk about COVID in a little bit, but a great pivot uh, to say, how do we change our model uh, yep. to reach people side of the scope of who we have been reaching. And uh, I just think of everybody listening or watching how important it is to m- be mentored by an organization like yours that goes like, hey, you know, we're doing pretty good, you know, you know, a hundred countries, but to see this pivot and it added a lot of complexity, I'm sure, to the organization, but in, in some ways it simplified everything, you know, right? Yep. Yeah. So what happened in that time period. So if you could fast forward from 2007 to the last few years, Awana about five years ago began asking, hey, what we we discovered internationally in uh, developing nations, what can we learn from that here in the West? And uh-huh. so the, the innovation that we've gone, so, so international ministry has actually really shaped That's our what it, yeah, it's, it innovation. Came full yeah. Okay. It, so- it really did. So we, we've gone through significant innovation. So if you're familiar with the Awana ministry in the U S that program that you can imagine, or you can remember Awana clubs yeah. is still happening in the U S but we've built a whole ecosystem of innovation around that. And that it's all been releasing over the last 24 months. And, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot we could talk about there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give us a couple of uh, uh, things that have shifted from when I was first introduced to Awana, you know, back when I was a, when, when I was a kid, I came to Christ, uh, went to church at the age of 14, grew up in an unchurched home. The church that I was at in Cleveland, Ohio did Christian service brigade. So that's where I started memorizing scripture and all of that. But when I became a pastor of the first church in Arlington, Texas, as a thriving Awana 
Awana program. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of yeah. fact, the, ch- the church I came into was in de- decline, but the Awana program was the only thing growing, you know, because it was yeah. reaching kids in the community. And I went to our Awana a volunteer and basically said, all right, what are you guys doing that we can bring to Sunday morning to help the overall church grow? And we sort of dissected some of the secrets of them. What you're saying is from th- that 1989 encounter with Awana for me, yeah. Uh, you guys have made some substantial shifts and changes. Yeah. So if I, if I was a pastor, I, I, I'm sure pastors today are asking themselves, what, what, act, what is it that we actually do that leads to, to lasting faith in our congregation? Like what actually builds disciples? And so when I had my first encounter with Awana around 2010 and then joined the organization in 2013, I was, I was asking like, what makes Awana successful? Like, what, like where we have fruit, where we see fruit, why, why is that? And so one thing that I respect about Awana is we do self-reflection. We do, we do impact studies, like, is it working? So if, you're, if your church is doing children's ministry and the materials you're using do not have research to back it up, I would ask questions about that. So yeah. uh, I've, I've been with Awana for almost a decade, and we're now doing our eighth research project on children's ministry and on, on the value of what we do and bring. So I think what we started doing about a decade ago when we started that innov- the next innovation curve we were asking, what is it that Awana does that is fruitful and effective? And it really came down to three areas. We call the three areas belong, believe, become. Belong is highly relational. Believe is deeply scriptural. And become is truly experiential. So Christian Smith's research says that there are three practice, three areas that when they're all three present with a ch- in a child and a student are far more likely to lead to lasting faith if they're all three present. He calls those three areas relationships, uh, scripture engagement slash prayer, and experiences. We call those same three areas belong, believe, become. So we, we've seen that in our research. We've seen it in Lifeways and Barna's, Christian Smith, Fuller Youth Institute, and we packaged all of that in our, in our book, Resilient. It's the leading selling children's book. It's called Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the church. So objectively, if you want to build a children's ministry that tends to lead to lasting faith, build your children's ministry around those three areas. So those three things need to be integrated to find it. Cause I, I was going to ask you the question of what's the secret sauce of Awana. And I think you just described it, right? That is the secret yeah. sauce. I think it, I may it, have got ahead of you. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. No, no. Uh, you know what I think is uh, what it, it reminds me as you were sharing that it reminds me of the secret sauce of the first church. It sounds like mm-hmm. in Acts two, you know, they, there was a sense of belonging that they had, right? Uh, fellowship in the breaking of bread. There was the uh, believing the apostles teaching and prayer. And then out of that, you know, they began to meet the needs of each other and the people around them and the Lord added to their number daily. So it sounds like it's got this sort of, and the Holy Spirit was just arriving on the scene and sort of energizing that whole process. Well, you you just named one of the whole categories, the layers of research. So, So how we arrived at those three Bs, we studied the organization's history so we have a lot of letters, right? We get newsletters every week from all around the world. So we, we compiled those uh, uh, qualitative stories. We looked at the scriptures. How did Jesus make disciples in the gospels? And what do we see happening in the New Testament? And then thirdly, we did our own research. Like I said, we've done now we've now done, we're in our eighth research project. Plus we pulled in the research from Barna and all the others. So we put all of that together. Uh, is, I'm very proud of our organization for the amount of work we did just to distill it down to those three B's. So I think when we when we speak of this, where it's not just a really slick marketing campaign, it's it's language that represents reality of what leads to lasting faith in children and, and adults. I really appreciate um, the tenacity and the courage to do genuine research to see if what you're doing. Uh, is having impact. One of the things uh, that I saw that you guys are doing, and I don't know if it's related to the same type of research, is called the uh, deeper faith study on adults mm-hmm. uh, who have who were in Awana as kids. I, I don't know if, yeah. you, that's, if you've already been speaking to that, or because I think you know the beauty of being around since 1950. Like I was, I'm 61 years old, and I was born in 1961. So 1950. I mean, you've got you know people that are in their 60s and 70s who, you know, you can look and say, okay, what impact did a want to have or not have on them? Can you, can you speak a little bit yeah. to, to that specifically? Yeah. In recent decades, Awana's done two impact studies. We did one prior to my uh, involvement in leadership at Awana in 2007. 
the second one was uh, in 2020. And it's uh, with this impact study, there were 1,100, you could call them alumni. Uh, there are people who had experience with Awana for one year or more. So it's a minimum of, of one year. Uh, so of those 1,100 people who took the survey, um, they range from ages 18 to, I think, early 70s. So these were people from multi-generations. We wanted to know, you know from different generations. I think, I think the biggest finding, you know, if we're looking at outcomes, we talk a lot about the student dropout rate of church after high school. Yes, I, I want to I, talk about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the biggest distinction is that Awan alumni, 90 plus percent of them remain active in their faith uh, as a result of being involved in the Awana ministry, in addition to other things they're doing in their journey. So what it tells us is you, if you want, as a pastor or a leader, if you want a congregation, a community of people who are remaining in their faith, Awana tends to help shape that. And we feel pretty confident about that. I, I, I Matt, th this, in my estimation, and any pastor or children's pastor, or family ministry leader, volunteer that works, at, this is the most significant um, this is the most significant stat that we have, and that is the vast majority of, uh, of the kids coming up through our program and, I, and our youth program. They're just not sticking with their faith, and that's not something that just started happening. It's been happening for a very, very long time, yeah. and so everybody listening has to say, okay, I've got to – I've got to I've got to bring resolution. I've got to bring something that improves that statistic. And it'd be interesting to know, you know, why is it that kids? I, I've got a granddaughter right now. She's 13. She's in San Antonio. She just went to a youth camp and she's super excited. She's posting things on Instagram about her love for God. But I have this little bit of yeah. cynicism in me that says, okay, you're excited about it now, but yeah. you're gonna go off to college or wherever you know you're supposed to go. And uh, and I was even thinking about it this morning as we were having this think about this conversation and saying, why is it that these kids that seem yeah. to be so fired up about youth camps and things like that, why is it that they uh, walk away? I would love to drill into that. So let's think of a metaphor here. We, we've heard of this metaphor, which, which was a real thing, the canary in the coal mine, right? Like back in the day, our great grandfathers who worked doing a lot of manual labor and things like coal mining, the canary, the canary was in a cage, right? And it, it, the canary was in, a, in this cage because if the fumes from the gases got so bad that canary falls over and dies, right? So, right. so the canary in the coal mine for the church is the student dropout rate after high school. Yeah. And so, 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 but the, the, the power in the canary in the coal mine metaphor is not the canary falling over. It's, it's what led to the canary falling over which we would describe that as like, like a, some toxic gases. So it, if we could compare that to the church and say, the canary falling over is the equivalent of students leaving the church, you have to ask what led to that, right? Yeah. So, so let's point to a, a Barna stat that gets far too little conversation. And it's the Barna stat that says 90 plus percent of all human beings have a worldview is that's established by age 13. Mm. So think about that. So if, if the toxic gases are what lead to the canary falling over, what leads to the students leaving the church? So if we know that worldview is largely established in most human beings by age 13, we have to ask, well, what leads to forming them by the age 13? So today's 13-year-old is starting the youth group. Two years prior to that, they were finishing the children's ministry. Three years prior to that, they're eight years old. Eight, an eight-year-old is like the heart of your children's ministry. Yeah. So the church should be asking, a pastor should be asking, what's going on in our children's ministry? What are we doing to form that eight-year-old that in five years is going to have a worldview that's largely established by age 13. So we, we think the church is putting far too little ener energy into what's actually leading up to age 13, that by the time they're graduating high school, that canary is not following over, uh, that canary is thriving. So, uh, so, so going back to those three Bs, I think is really where the church should be putting that energy into. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, what I would say with my granddaughter now at, at the age of 13, which is this critical age, and like, oh my gosh, does she have that worldview established, is she does have a sense of belonging right now. Yeah. But yeah. It, yeah. what you're saying is if you don't have the other two components, particularly believing, which might speak to the worldview, that there's a good chance that uh, all this well, excitement is going to really uh, be very be very dangerous. 
Well, let me encourage you. Uh, the th- I don't see the three Bs as being equally weighted. Now, please, please listen carefully. I'm probably not saying what maybe someone may think I'm saying, but I, I don't think they're equally weighted, meaning I do think the belonging is the most, is the most uh, powerful in terms of time and investment, meaning so if the believing portion is scripture engagement, it's not as if we're it's not as if we're engaging the scriptures 18 hours a day. Like we know that's not true, right? But that belonging portion is the highly relational. That's the one that if we put a lot of weight and energy into that, it's through relationships ultimately that a person's heart is open to being mentored, to being shaped, to reading the Bible and studying the Bible. So the good news for the church is the more highly engaging we are the more that we can lead people to being willing to open up the Bible, to hear from Jesus and to spend time with God. So it's so a lot of, uh, you know, churches that are listening to this, you know, they, they really spend a lot of energy, uh, particularly in their student ministries, junior high, of just trying to create a sense of wanting them to come kind of a, a, a little bit of honey, you know, to get them to, to attracted to the event. But what you, what you have to, uh, when you have a vibrant sense of belonging, you've got to you've got to inject into this a real strong belief component. Yes, my son, uh, I won't, uh, one of the churches I served at, he came to me a very very successful church, and you know which one I'm talking about. He came to me and said, "Dad, you know we're we got a lot of cool stuff going on, but when are we?" going to ever start talking about, you know, what we believe. And, you know, we just keep talking about sex and dating. And I think they think we want to keep talking about these topics that we're interested in. But the reality is we don't have a foundation by which to think it through. And here I am, I'm, you know, I'm helping lead a church that really doesn't have that going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're, you're pointing out what we call the old map. Hi, this is Randy Frazee, host of the Bible Roots Podcast, which is brought to you by my friends at Harper Christian Resources. Harper Christian Resources equips you to understand the scriptures, cultivate spiritual growth, and disciple your people with Bible study resources from today's most trusted voices. We call that the old map of children's ministry or the old map of youth ministry. We, we really built the old map around three cities, and it's based on 1970s, 80s, and 90s assumptions. Uh, the three cities are entertainment, an, an outsized emphasis on relevance, and moralism. Yeah. So moralism, meaning we're teaching perhaps like a good value or virtue or behavior, uh, it's, but we're not necessarily teaching on the foundation of the gospel, the narrative from creation all the way through restoration, like, like the robust framework that a child needs to compare. Here's what I'm being taught by the secular world. Here's what the church is telling me reality of the gospel is and how I, you know, how to live like Jesus. So we're, we, we have so much emphasis on entertainment, so much on, on moralism that the substance isn't there. And if that's what our children are getting in children's ministry, and identity or about, or excuse me, worldviews set by age 13, it's no wonder uh, we, we're having some of the, out, we're experiencing the outcomes that we are. That's, I hope everyone writes those three things down because I'm telling you, you just nailed it. I mean, those three things have been my experience of what we, and we're trying to like attract students. We're trying to attract the kids. And, uh, but, the, but you're never really, you, the idea is you start with relevance and moralism and entertainment, and you try to back into scripture as opposed to your conviction based on your research is start with the Bible engagement and then, and then, sh- and then let the relevance and moralism flow out of that naturally. I would say it's slightly different. I would say start with the relationship and Bible engagement. There you go. I, yeah, yeah. I think Not it's that relation. I think it's that relationship that so many people are starving for, especially, especially young people. How often do they have a loving, caring adult looking eye to eye consistently with them where that, where that student or that child knows that, you know, let's say it's Nancy or Trevor, like they genuinely love me. I, if I, no matter what I tell them, I know they love me and care about me. And I think that's that safe foundation that every human needs. Let's talk about, I mean, I just think this was worth the whole podcast all in of itself, because if, if, a, if a, 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 a small group leader or, or a, a church, any organization, you know, even if you're, a, um, you know, another a nonprofit, like a young life or whatever, you've got to be asking yourself, you know, these questions and, you know, what specifically are you doing and how are you going to measure it? This is going to be the most pertinent thing for us to, to, to see a revitalization of Christianity, at least in the United States. Now, let's talk a little bit about the difference between kids in 1950 and kids, you know, today, children today uh, and students in 2022. There's been a huge shift that's going on and, uh, uh, what is, how, how you, you have a way to talk about that? I mean, what's the yeah. shift and how you, do you do anything differently or you just kind of keep going at it? 
Well, you know, 100 years from now, they're going to look back and say 2007 was a significant year. That's the year the iPhone uh, was created. It was yeah. put was put into the marketplace. So every human being has imagine this is a little bit of a silly image, if you will, but imagine every one of us having a six inch uh, pipe kind of sticking out of our our <laughs> heart from our chest, and we're 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 looking to to express our loves and to receive love. Like so, we're looking for a place to to connect that conduit too, right? And so. Uh, every one of us has has those loves and what's happening is if if i'm not getting that pipeline filled with the love from loving caring adults from the church or from god i'm gonna go somewhere with that right and so the iphone created a conduit or a interstate system that's like supercharged with all kinds of stuff including you know everything from super evil stuff to just an over over abundance of secularism and all kinds of noise, so the the gospel and uh, you know he hearing from loving caring adults is having to compete with all of that volume, right? So I think the difference is not it's not that human beings have fundamentally changed; it's that the environment is so dramatically different. I think human beings have three primary needs: community, meaning, and freedom. Meaning, community that's that belonging piece meaning that would be that believing piece that we're, we're looking for purpose it's that idea yeah. of epistemology and then that freedom piece meaning we all have free will that we want to express and we want to live it out right so i think it's looking at those areas of human need and development and saying how can the church today build our kind of reverse engineer our ministries backwards from where are people at and how can we step into their lives that's why i think we keep going back to those three b's because that really answers those needs that we do have belonging uh in the church the church should be the most highly relational community and entity in any city uh that's that's our distinct advantage and so if we can step into that relationally and bring the good news of the gospel and discipleship what's yeah. so really cool about that is uh if you try to react to everything the culture is throwing at our children and our families you're just going to be in reaction mode you know to the days you know but as opposed to it, it, the alternative is no develop a proactive strategy around these three b's and then that will offensively take care of all the things that are coming at, which is what I, th I think you're saying. What, what about, you know, so, you know, you know, in COVID, you know, you talked about this before we started the podcast, how, you know, uh, the, you know, one organization has been able to sort of uh, decentralize a little bit and COVID expedited that. The same thing is true, I think, with, with uh, education. So, you know, again, go back to my grandson, who's seven and my granddaughter who is 13 you know this iphone there mm -hmm. is mine's right by me you know it could be sticking out of my heart just like you said <laughs> and um you know when you know you used to go to awana in the 1950s and 1960s you'd come on a wednesday night you know you did that and um and then COVID hit and you can't even go to a church and, and the reality is one hour a week isn't going to overcome the stuff that's coming at our kids this way. What has Awana done to sort of respond to the sort of iPhone, um, the, the season where COVID, where you couldn't get together and experience that belonging? What are what are some things that you've done to work with that? If you could imagine an imaginary whiteboard in your brain and, and write three words starting from the top, the top the top word would be vision the middle word would be skills and the bottom word would be resources. So vision, skills, resources. We, the church spends a lot of time trying to figure out how to get resources into the hands of parents, but without the vision and the skills, uh, the resources just simply don't get used. And so we're, we've, so I talked about innovation earlier. We've spent the last five years building a new innovation ecosystem that helps bring vision and skills to the church and to parents. So what are we, what's, what are we trying to do through that? We're trying to bring insight that leads to equipping because with insight, the church can, and the church and parents can go, aha, now I fully understand how the secular world is shaping my children, what post-Christian culture is doing to us and what we can do to, to, to minister and disciple children in today's world. Then when we introduce resources, we've entered, we've introduced those resources into a world where we understand how we would actually apply those. So we, we have launched a gathering called the child discipleship forum and the child discipleship forum. We're bringing together leaders, uh, like John Mark Comer, 
Rebecca McLaughlin, Andy Crouch, and, and a lot of others that are that are really helping us bring that message of disciple making to those who are most open to it and how the secular world is shaping our children and what we can do today to disciple. So at that top vision and kind of that middle level of, of equipping uh, and teaching skills, that's really one of the big innovations we brought is the Child Discipleship Forum. Okay, and we can link that in the the show notes yeah. uh, so yes. people can access that. I, well, you know, just a lot of things are sparking in my brain. I uh, had the privilege of rewriting "Renovation of the Heart" for Dallas Willard and uh, and for students. So I had to take this very heavy book, and and it was really a wonderful assignment. I put the, my four kids you know, on my desk, uh, pictures of them, and and rewrote it. And he talked about vision, intention, and means, which sounds very yeah. similar to what you've just said. And, yes. and that what do we do in church leadership is we're always, you know, throwing resources at people or the means by which it, when they really don't have this vision uh, to begin with. And so this forum is helping parents really get the vision for uh, what's going on so that they're not just, because if resources alone, we get excited, we have vision as leaders, you Mm -hmm. know, and we have intention, you know, but uh, so we just go ahead and throw them the bottom shelf stuff and they don't have that. So yeah. That's pretty. Yeah, you mentioned Willard. We really respect his work, and uh, a lot of he's really significantly impacted us. Of course, John Mark Comer being one of our lead speakers. Very, a lot of his ministry is built around the work of Dallas Willard as well. So, uh, a lot of uh, shared DNA in what you just shared there. Yeah, that is uh, really important. Let's talk a moment about what's happening with our kids today you know, that uh, uh, that probably a lot of parents don't understand. I'm not even sure I fully understand it, but you know, you know, you think about the gender fluidity stuff and yeah. and woke and uh, and sort of uh, sort of altering history and just uh, critical race theory and all of those kinds of things. I think m- m- most parents are just overwhelmed. Uh, and don't really know what to do. What, any any thoughts on that that might encourage parents and church leaders? Well, if you want me to speak to all those issues, you definitely have the wrong guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think what I would say is I think parents need parents need a partner, and yeah. so we we have introduced a new product that's called Talk About. Uh, let, so let me back up a half a yeah, step. Yeah, yeah, Deuteronomy yeah. Deuteronomy six is this this epic, probably one of the most famous parenting passages in all yep. of Scripture where Moses shares the Ten Commandments with the children of Israel. And then he says, Here are Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I just gave you, I want them to be upon your hearts. And then he says, teach them to your children. And then he says these words, talk about. He says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, you get up. Now, I, I, I roughly paraphrase most of that, so please forgive me. But that phrase, talk about. So we built this whole product for parent, direct to parent, called talk about. Because parents, uh, there's a, going back to that belonging piece, if parents aren't talking to their children, right, that there's a sign that something's missing. So talk, you could use the term KPI or key performance indicator talk or dialogue or conversation is a KPI that relationship is actually happening. Mm. So if, if parents are talking to their kids on a consistent, regular basis, and there's two-way dialogue, that's probably a sign that there's a, a really healthy heart connection. And I think that's what that parent wants, because when your child is 25, 35, 40, you want to know, I've got a long-term relationship with my child, and I can hopefully help influence them and shape them toward Jesus and his kingdom. So we have this product called Talk About. You can go to talkaboutdiscipleship.com. And each week, parents will get a two-minute video that's coming right to their inbox, or you can, we have tech, the, it's all digital software, or you can print it out as a PDF. But the, the, the two-minute video gives parents weekly coaching on how to be a disciple-making parent. And the curriculum also comes with a weekly uh, everything you need to have these faith conversations with your children to teach them how to engage the Bible. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what's missing. Let's go back to that that vision, skills, and resources. Without that skill level in the middle, right, the, the resources are never going to be used. So talk about is designed to give them the vision, the skills to actually implement week-to-week family discipleship. That's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, we'll, we'll link that in the notes as well. What a great resource because, uh, you know, the Deuteronomy passage 
that you, that you quoted six, uh, you know, talks about it's, it has to first of all be on your heart. So you can't pass on something you don't possess. And yet I find a lot of parents today are sort of weren't properly discipled. They didn't really have that. And so they feel overwhelmed or they came into it late in the game and they just feel like they're so far behind. I just need to drop them off at church uh, yeah. and, and, and just let them do the work. What we're saying is it's, it's really way more effective when this sort of bond community that parents mm-hmm. have with kids. There's just no, a, I, I, I always like to say a, a, a B execution from parents is better than an A execution from professionals uh, because of the bond. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think also uh, that, that, that you, uh, for parents that are listening uh, or for leaders who can talk to the parents, encourage them, you may feel delinquent uh, in your own upbringing. Uh, you may be so far, but I find that what you've just offered is likely a just-in-time training. You go ahead and take a look at the resource and get trained just in time, only minutes before you talk about it with your kids and let it be a dynamic. Would you agree? I think so. I think if you're a parent and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I could never do that. Here's where I, here's where I would say, I, I would ask you to ask yourself a question. Think of a time where your parent had a conversation with you that was meaningful and that meant so much to you or something your parents said to you and how powerful that was. If you can imagine how that has made you feel and how that has positively propelled you forward in your life, imagine not doing that with your child and the impact that that's going to have. So make an attempt, you know, try your best. And I think your kids over time, that you, that, that's going to build a lifetime foundation for them. Yeah, that is really, really incredible. I, I wrote down because I went to the website and there's a a, 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 um, a digital home-based thing called Bright. Is that yeah. a, a totally separate thing? That that would be for the church. It's the same idea, but for the church. Okay. Bright, Bright curriculum. So Awana is known, as you mentioned earlier, more as a midweek experience mm-hmm. uh, for children. So Bright, B-R-I-T-E. So if you Google Bright curriculum, uh, Bright is our Sunday uh, curriculum. Most churches don't realize Awana has a Sunday or a weekend uh, digital curriculum. So if your church does large group, small group, or children's church and Sunday school, Bright is that digital curriculum for your church to help you uh, make child disciples. That is it. Hey, let, let's let's uh, kind of ch- jump up to the thirty thousand feet, and and as we kind of wrap up, talk about what are you most discouraged about? You know, just you know about just you take it any direction you want to be, and then what's the thing that's encouraging you the most? Yeah, I think what I'm most discouraged about is is the rapid influence that this culture has in forming. A child. You mentioned a lot of hot button topics just a moment ago. And when you and I were younger, those types of issues were more removed, yeah. you know, where, where now they're so close to the child, what's happening with the public school system, or you, you stop at a gas station to pump your gas and there's a screen 18 inches from your face pumping messages, you know, screens are everywhere and kids cannot avoid them. And so mm-hmm. Today's pain points are right in the faces of our children, and it's shaping them really rapidly. And that, that's, that's discouraging to all of us, I think, and we're all really you know, frustrated on how to, how to deal with that. But I think what encourages me the most are pastors like John Mark Comer. I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, I think what encourages me is there's a group of pastors who are saying, in our post-Christian age, the attractional model of church is not our future. They're saying the formational model of church is our future. Mm. And that might, be, that might be a sensitive topic, but what I mean is we have to ask ourselves hard questions in a highly secularized post-Christian world. Is attractionalism going to produce the level of faith and resiliency that we need? Or is it a disciple-making or a formational model? Is that our future? And I'm excited by the pastors who are moving in this direction because I think it's what we see Jesus doing, and I think it's what we see happening in the gospel, in the in the New Testament. You know, one of the things that's been has been beneficial, uh, and even though COVID has been devastating in so many regards, uh, one of the things that's been beneficial is has forced pastors to move away from the attractional because we couldn't get anybody to come, and yeah. so it's been so discouraging to look at your attendance numbers. You know, when the market goes down, you have a tendency of not looking at your you know 401k statements or your bank statements because they went down, so you just don't even look at them. Well, a lot of pastors aren't looking at their attendance numbers because they're so discouraging, you know, and there's a little bit of a climb uh, that's going back up. So uh, we were forced 
rightfully so to shift from attendance to engagement, or you're saying from attractional uh, to formational, which I think mm-hmm. is good. And what I'm hearing you say is that you are seeing uh, kind of uh, a positive yeah. move. There, there's a lack of, there's, they're not resisting. They're like, okay, help me. So the vision is getting yeah. clear. And so yes. now the resources are now going to be much more uh, uh, pertinent to them. If they don't have the vision, the, re- the resources of WANA are just sitting there and you're, thinking, you're kidding me. We've got these amazing resources. Why aren't you guys like running to this? And, yeah. and, and now the vision that's come out of crisis probably is really helping uh, people to capture that. I agree. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a pastor listening to this and you're, and you're thinking, I want a practical example, what's a church I could look at. So I'm just picking a church that I am aware of. There's a church in Franklin, South of Nashville called Church of the City, pastored by Darren Whitehead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to read a couple things off their website right now. Their vision says this, our vision is to see the fame and deeds of God renewed and known in our time, right? That's right. That's right from the scriptures. So notice how that vision had very little to do with me, me, me. That vision had to do with what we want, what we long to see God do in the, in our midst in this world. Then their mission is because of that, their mission is practicing the way of Jesus. They're, meaning we want to live like Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to be his disciple. And then they have a list of ways that they do that. Practicing the presence of God. That sounds a lot like Dallas Willard, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Practicing the ways of God, forming people as disciples, unity of the church and flourishing in our city and you know, living on mission. So that would be an example, I think, of, of moving toward a formational model, meaning the secular world is forming us so rapidly. So what can we do as Christ advocates in this world? We can be formed by him as disciples. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Darren and I served together at Willow Creek. And so, you know, uh, Darren, he's done such an amazing job. And uh, yeah, we're looking at some some of the, you know, similar kind of language. Language does matter for sure. So that's encouraging, really encouraging. You know, uh, discipleship has been a big passion of mine. I think you've known that. Uh, and uh, I, I, I remember uh, saying to somebody years ago, as I was in relationship with Dallas Willard and all, I want to see in my lifetime, the conversation change from uh, f- from attendance to formation, wow. and uh, it just didn't look like it was going to happen. But the, thank goodness, from these some of these external things like COVID, uh, it's really been um, it's been really forced upon us in such a positive way. Oh, I'd like to ask all my guests this question. It's kind of a fun fun question. If you could be king for the day, you know, just where whatever you said, everyone had to do. They couldn't. They couldn't uh, uh, do anything. They couldn't talk back to you or anything at all. This, whatever you, you did today, what would, what would you say to them uh, in terms of what you would ask them to do? Uh, whether it's a, a, maybe start with a pastor or a family uh, pastor, or then go to parents. Okay, you know what? I can't get, this is the one thing if I just, if you just would not talk back to me, you wouldn't, you had to do it. <laughs> you know, you have to do it or you're going to be thrown into the ju- dungeon. Uh, what, what, do you have any idea what you would say the number one thing would be? Yeah, I, I, I actually already said it, so which means I get two. So the thing I would do is I would help the church move from attractional to formational. So because I've already covered that, now I'm going to go to number two. Yeah. Uh, my second thing would be John 13, 35, that Jesus said the church is going to be known by our love for one another. Uh. In this world of division, boy, go to I, this morning in my, my personal Bible engagement time was John 17. Uh, which is Jesus's prayer for the disciples in the future church. Boy, let's go back to that. So my, if I'm king for a day, I'm going to help the church to understand that, that what the world needs right now is for us to fulfill that. John 13, 35, we got to yeah. love each other. And if, and if the, the world, which is so hungry for this, sees us loving each other, uh, they're going to want to get closer to that. Like, what is that? Like, I want that. Right. So I, I think that's what I would that's what my day would be about. That would be awesome. You know, the I think I think you're absolutely right. And um, I think that sometimes, you know, when we get to that believe, which is your number two, we sometimes think that that's what we're going to try to get the world to we confuse that with morality and we're going to try to get the world to sort of get cleaned up before they come in. And and the and the, and the world yep. sees us about all the things we're against. Uh, what they yeah. really should be seeing is the outcome uh, of, of who yeah. we become and and then let you know our beliefs and all that be a little bit more of an internal thing within our family and then let yeah. th- with them because i think people are seeing our dogma which is really not you know 
is really not, you know, these attractive sort of things. Uh, it's really more going back to that sort of morality thing you were talking about and not this beauty of abiding in Christ and being one with the Father, right? And, and, and oh, how quickly we forget how Jesus covered some of these, you know, Jesus's encounter with a woman at the well, Jesus's encounter with a lady who was about to be stoned, you know, for having an adulterous affair, you know, not to mention the fact that there's no male in that story who was yeah. the other side of that affair, you know, so <laughs> Whoops. there's... Yeah, there, there's so much Jesus. And, and, and I would add to that, Jesus is rebuking of legalism coming from the religious leaders of his day. So I think about the woman at the well and Jesus's encounter with her. Uh, he didn't say, go clean up your lifestyle. She was actively living an adulterous lifestyle, even while he's giving her eternal life. Like she didn't have time to go back and clean up her life. And so I think if we could remember, that's who Jesus was. That's how he encountered the world around him. And then let the Holy Spirit do the work of leading us closer to God, which involves shedding our sin uh, over time. I think that's a brilliant way to sort of wrap up our wrap up our time together, Matt. This has been such an important conversation. I tell you, parents, uh, Christian or non-Christian parents have the their biggest yep. burden when they wake up is for the outcome of their kids. Uh, you know, you don't get moms mad or they will rise up and, you know, do all kinds of things, you know, they're, but, but they need to have the vision, the right vision and the resources uh, to be able to sort of tackle these things. And uh, yeah. this has been a very, very important conversation that I'm encouraging people to like and share uh, uh, to, with as many people as you can. How, how can people find you and how can people connect with Awana? Well, a couple of those key reminders, uh, Child Discipleship Forum, of course, you can always Google that or just go to childdiscipleshipforum.com to get access to that That community. Obviously, we mentioned talk about talkaboutdiscipleship.com and then brightcurriculum.com uh, as well. Those are some of the, I think, the most important pieces of the conversation. And then, of course, on our website, awana.org, that's, that's kind of the mothership website. You can go there and get all the information about me as well. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining this Bible Roots podcast today. You have made a great contribution, and uh, God bless you in all that you guys are doing in the United States and around the world. I think uh, God has got you here for such a time as this, and uh, I'm so grateful for your leadership. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Randy. Well, this wraps up episode eight of the Bible Roots podcast. I think you would agree with me that this is extremely important. This is not just a fancy topic that you sit around and chat about when you have nothing else to talk about. I mean, the very, the very future generations of our children and even our own lives are at stake. And uh, we need to really look to scriptures to find out what is the way forward. So uh, I encourage you to like this podcast, leave a review, and share it with as many people as you can. We have two more episodes in this first season. Uh, next week, we'll be talking, next time, we'll be talking to Morgan Jackson of Faith Comes by Hearing. And uh, this rise of the audio recordings uh, to the languages that have yet to have the Word of God in their own heart language. And then uh, we will finish up with a wonderful conversation with Mark Hall, uh, who is the lead singer of Casting Crowns, talking about students as well, and the role of Bible engagement and music. It is going to be uh, some really great episodes. So I encourage you to share these with others. And until next time, God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Bible Roots Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and energized by our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review. This small gesture will help more church leaders discover our conversations around Bible engagement. And don't forget, like and subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Now, may your faith be strengthened through God's word today and every day.